everybody, Keith Rainwater here with the Designated Drummer Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I hope everybody's having a great day. Um, it's coming up on Halloween right now, so I was just thinking how kind of cool it would be to talk about the horrors of performing, the scary things that can happen on stage while you're on stage performing and all kinds of weird stuff. So I'm just sitting here. It's a beautiful fall day here in Nashville. I've got my coffee here, which I'm going to take a sip of right now. If anybody is out there, a coffee drinker or a tea drinker, I hope you pause the podcast right now. Go get you a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and join me. Just as if we were sitting down at a Starbucks or something and just having a lovely little chat. So about the horrors of performing, okay? Um, You know, when you're on stage, there's a lot going on. You know, there's uh, you're obviously trying to remember your part in the song and you're trying to put on a show and the crowd gets excited And there's mechanical things and there's electrical things. And all that mixed together equals what could happen, which is pretty crazy. Some crazy things could happen. Fans go crazy. They come up on stage and um, they want to be a part of the show, apparently. Um, Gosh, just lots of things can happen. Um, You just never know. It's a very random thing that that happens when you're on stage you're making music and stuff can break or someone can forget the words or something goes wrong and I mean it may not be funny at the time that it's happening when you're on stage doing what you're doing but you when you think back on it years later it really is kind of funny you know when you think about how you deal with things that happen and um so I reached out to a few of my friends that I've actually had on the podcast here before uh, I reached out to David Black, who plays with um, uh, Phil Vassar, and Chuck Fields, who plays with Terry Clark, and Tommy Harden, he's playing with Alabama right now, and Rich Redman, who plays with Jason Aldean. And uh, I just, they've all been on my podcast before, so I just reached out to them uh, to see if they had some stories to share about crazy, wild things that have happened on stage. Um, and Some of these are really good. I mean, they're all really good. But uh, I thought I would just share a little bit about me personally, things that have happened to uh, me on stage, whether I was with Canyon or with Lone Star or whatever. Um, And just some stories I've heard. There was a bass player that I used to play with, um, David Norris, and he was telling me that he was – well, I'll tell you that story in a minute. But I wanted to start out by saying – uh, sharing a story that, that is actually a Halloween story because Halloween's coming up and uh, that happened to us Lone Star when we first got out there and I think it was 1997 maybe seven seven ninety seven, and uh, we were playing in Oklahoma City at a club and I think we'd played this club before but we were now coming to this club as a recording artist and we were doing a big show and everything of our music so we decided to be funny if we went to a Goodwill store and tried to, or a costume costume store and and or Goodwill store, and we got together some costumes, and we would just come on stage as the village people. We thought that would be funny, and so we got a recording of YMCA and all that. We had we had the song playing on the PA as we walked out on stage. Usually, you know, you walk out on stage to some kind of music or something that's playing like a little intro music and then you get on your instruments and you then you start playing well that's normally what we did but this night we thought we would come out there as 
the village people as our, these are our Halloween costumes. And we thought we would just like, wow, the crowd with, wow, we're like the village people. And so we walked out on stage in our crazy costumes. Of course, I was the Indian. Um, I think our fiddle player was the cop. And I cannot remember who all was who, but it was pretty crazy. Someone was the construction worker and, you know, you know, the village people, right? They have all these, these sort of characters. And so we came on stage singing YMCA and all standing across the front of the stage. And the reaction we got from the crowd was not what we had expected. We were expecting people just go, oh, my God, Lone Star, look, they're dressed up the village people. Nobody knew that it was us. It was crazy. We got up there and we did the whole YMCA thing. Of course, we didn't think that, of course, we're in costume, that they wouldn't even recognize us. They thought this was like an opening act or something. You know, it's like, well, who's who are these guys? Just completely backfired on us. And we went to play the rest of the show in our costumes. Well, semi in our costumes. We, uh, you know, I think I took the, the, I had this Indian headdress thing. I took that off. And played, you know, in my Indian, whatever I was wearing. and uh, But we dressed as the village people. We did our whole show. And people were just kind of confused. They were just like, what is, what are they doing? Like, is this the village people, really? Or is it Lone Star? I thought, we are we at the wrong place? It was just question marks on everybody's faces. And we, we had to laugh that one off. Not, and also remember not to ever do that again. <laughs> not ever come on stage wearing costumes for Halloween. We would just do our show and then save that for trick or treating or something. So that was really crazy. Um, another funny thing that happened, um, speaking of stuff happens on stage, I'm going to take another sip of my coffee here. If you're having coffee with me, I hope you do the same. Another crazy thing that happened is we were playing a show somewhere and they had this curtain that separated the backstage from the stage. Normally what they do is they have curtains. They have a curtain across the back and then there's side curtains that we walk out from the side stage, stage right, stage left. We walk out onto stage from the side. Well, this particular club didn't have a side or this place we were playing a little theater. You had to enter from the back. And so they had a door opening and they had a curtain that came across the back that would hide that opening and then you had an opening in the curtain that you would open you would push for, to the side and you would walk through the curtain and I think they had some kind of a rope you pulled or something like that that pulled the curtain back well the problem with this curtain was that in order for the curtain to not get caught on something I don't know why they did it but they had when they pulled this rope to open the curtain slightly let people out on stage from backstage there was a piece of chain or rope or something that went across the bottom of the curtain that was supposed to keep the curtain all together so it, it opened it from the top and the bottom at the same time kind of deal well there's six of us at the time there were six of us on stage uh so we're all walking out and the music's playing and we're you know there's like this our intro thing and we're walking out there and the first person which i think was me that walks out because I got to get all the way back behind the drums. Walk out and I trip over the the rope that's at the bottom of the curtain that's connecting the two sides of the curtain together. And I walked and of course the first thing you do is trip on that cord, that piece of cable or whatever it was. And then the next person behind me trips on me, and then the next person tries to go around and they trip on the wire, and it's just like a constant mayhem. 
And we all, I think every single one of us tripped on that, on that string or that curtain. I don't see how that ever was a thing, how they ever kept that. Maybe they warned the artist, okay, don't trip on the curtain, or maybe they had just implemented it or something. But that was, you know, imagine, I think I even was videotaping that night. I probably have video of that very uh, incident where we were all trying to rush out on stage and tripping over each other and tripping over the curtain wire and all that stuff. I was like, that was a, that was a huge, just a kerfuffle on stage. I'll never forget it. Um, another time that we were playing somewhere, I want to say it was in Colorado. I want to say this was up in Vail, Colorado at a sort of a, it was a private thing that we were playing. I think it was a private thing. It was some big, uh, deal on a lawn on a back. There was a stage set up and it was like a little amphitheater and it was outside and there was a nice grassy lawn kind of thing. And we were playing and the stage was pretty huge. It was really big, big concrete floor. And it was it was opposite of what it normally is. Normally, the stage is up off of the ground pretty high, and then people sit down on the ground, and they go up and out, like the audience goes up and out away from the stage, and there's kind of a, a height difference. You know, it's like you would have to climb up on stage with some stairs or something. Well, in this particular case, the stage was this concrete floor that was on ground level, and then it went out into the grass, and then that just kind of sort of went up a little bit. So basically the audience was on the same level as the stage, and we played, and it started to rain, started to kind of drizzle a little bit. So a couple of people kind of walked over onto the stage, onto the side, and then more people said, hey, they're walking up on stage to get out of the rain, and... So everybody else just kind of started doing the same thing. So next thing, and then it started pouring, like the rain just started coming down like crazy. Uh, So uh, you can imagine the chaos that ensued. Every single person in that whole crowd, it wasn't a big crowd. It was a private thing, like I was saying. So there was probably 100 people, 150 people there at this little event. And they all, every single one of them, because they were just following what the person in front of them did, got up on stage with us. And we were performing our show with a crowd of about 100 people all just intermingled in between the band. Like I'm looking across the stage and I can't even see Michael or Dean or anybody because there's people standing up and walking and milling around just watching us play. Like, hey, we're just going to come up on stage and, and just join you guys while you play. Just keep playing and we'll just walk around. It was hilarious, and I'll never forget it because, I, you know, it was one of those things where we had a set list, but I think we were just sort of calling the, the songs, like, hey, let's do that one, let's do this one. I couldn't see anybody to see what song we were doing next, so we, we were just kind of in pause mode for in between songs to try and figure out what we were doing so we could get the, um, you know, information around the stage to what song we were doing next. It was pretty crazy, and I think that it eventually it stopped raining and everybody kind of went back to their seats, I think. Uh, or we may have just done the whole show with the crowd on stage. I can't remember. But I think there's also video of that that somebody got from their phone. I think everybody had their phone out and was videoing the this crazy thing. That was very, very crazy one. So another crazy thing that happened on stage, a horror that, that would happen on stage, as it were. David Norris, this friend of mine, he was a bass player is a bass player um, I played with years ago. And I heard, I did not see him do this, but I, he was telling me a story about that he was on stage playing and 
his zipper was wide open and it was just like gaping open. Like you can imagine, you know, it's just like he was wearing these tight pants and the zipper just was like, boing. And, um, the, the singer Lloyd, his name was Lloyd. He looked over at David in the middle of the song. He said, Hey, don't look now, but your zipper's wide open. And David, because Lloyd had played jokes on him before, David didn't believe him. He said, yeah, right. Sure. Whatever. I'm not looking. You're not making me look this time. And so he didn't look down. And so he just kept playing and kept playing. And finally, this lady came dancing by, two-stepping by the front of the stage and looks at David and says, hey, what are you trying to do? Advertise it? And he looked down. And, of course, his zipper was wide open. You know, just you just never know. You know, you think someone's playing a joke on you, which he did. So he went, he just said, nah, forget it. He's just messing with me. And his zipper was actually wide open. But I thought, what a funny way for someone to tell you that your zipper is wide open is for a lady to dance by and say, what are you trying to do? Advertise it. Anyway, so um, here's another story that happened to us, Lone Star, when we were playing, well, the first time we were ever on the Opry, the Grand Ole Opry. And it was, we had just had our, I think our album was in the middle of being finished or something. And I think our album wasn't even out yet, I don't think. But we got invited to play on the Opry because somebody had canceled or something like that. And our record label said, can we get Lone Star in there to maybe play one of their songs? So they got us in and we went in there and we were, it was heartbroken every day. And that has kind of a an instrumental intro with Michael playing his B-Bender guitar. And then finally, John Rich would come in singing his song, his lyric. Well, we did the intro. You know, we're playing, as, ladies and gentlemen, Lone Star, a brand new act on B&A Records. Um, and so we're playing the intro. And John Rich's microphone did not work. And... And like something like the Opry, you know, they think they would test these things out ahead of time, which I'm sure they did. But I think it ran out of battery or it was one of those wireless mics or something happened where they were getting no sound from his vocal. So we played the vamp. The, we vamped the intro again and again and again. And I think we must have played that same intro, <laughs> looped it almost the length of what the whole song was, which is like three and a half minutes. I think we probably paid, played about a three and a half minute intro to Heartbroke Every Day over and over. And finally, Whispering Bill Anderson, the kind-hearted man that he is, and um, he walked over and handed John Rich his microphone that he had, his wireless mic, and he said, here you go, son, use this. And John did, and we were able to finish the song. But, wow, that was that was our first um, kind of... I don't know. Stuff had happened to us before on stage, but our first sort of live recorded, videoed, whatever you want to call it, um, going out for everyone to see our first lesson in humility, which is like anything can happen on stage. You got to be prepared for it. Um, so that was pretty fun. We finally got through the song and we laughed it off and made sure that from then on, we made sure that every microphone worked and do a little test before we went on and that kind of thing. But when you're on the Opry, there's really not much of a sound check. It's just kind of a run and gun situation. You just run up there and play and you just kind of hope and pray that everything works. And usually it does. And it sounds great. And they have great, a great crew there and a great people that work there and great technicians. But in this particular case, his mic did not work. And so, you know, that happens. Um, here's a little something that I thought I would 
share with you guys. Now, this didn't actually happen, but this is a recurring <laughs> dream that I have, that I've had throughout my whole career. And I have this dream about once every couple of years or so. I have this dream. I'm a big Steve Miller fan. I'm a fan of the Steve Miller band. I grew up listening to his music and his albums, and I was always a, just completely a huge fan of Steve Miller, the Steve Miller Band. And I had this dream. I have this dream. I started out having this dream years ago that um, after playing professionally and being on stage and, you know, have to run and gun sometimes when you're filling in for somebody or something, you have to set up your drums really fast and you have to perf- play, you know, you have to play with these drums you've just set up, you know, you're just like a, a real fast, quick, hurry up situation in this dream that I have. And sometimes you find yourself in those situations where someone, some drummer didn't show up or something and they will call you and say, Hey, can you come just, you know, fill in real quick? We don't have anybody. Well, in this dream, it was me. I, this was the Steve Miller band, their drummer, something happened with the drummer. He didn't make it, no drums. So I brought my drums out there and I was supposed to set up my drums while the crowd is literally waiting for the whole band to play, I'm setting up my drums and I can't, this is the dream, the nightmare. I can't get anything to fit together. It's like the floor tom things are the wrong size. The toms don't fit on the mounts. I'm missing uh, all my cymbal stands. Um, the snare drum doesn't have a, uh, a bottom head on it or something, which is ironic because when I got my first drum kit ever, when I was about 14, I got a kick drum and a snare and a tom and a floor tom, but the snare drum had no bottom head on it, no no snare or bottom head. It was just a drum, kind of an empty drum, and uh, it was up to me to try and find the parts to piece it together. So in my dream, my nightmare, that was it was that snare that didn't have a bottom head on it. So I was trying to put these together. The whole Steve Miller band is looking back at me, kind of going, um, "Can you hurry it up? We got a show to do." And there's thousands of people in the audience waiting with nothing, just silence, just like they're just hearing themselves cheer and say, come on. And here I am holding the whole show up because I can't get the drums to go together. Now that dream to me has reoccurred many, many times about every couple of years. I have that same dream where, and it's always seems like it's always the Steve Miller band. I'm opening up or I'm filling in for the Steve Miller band. Um, and I cannot get, I would love to do it. And I'm like, I know all the songs. It's a great feeling because I know every single Steve Miller song and I know how to play it. And I've played it. I've practiced it. I've been a huge fan. And here I am on stage with Steve Miller. I've got my chance and the dadgum drums will not go together. I can't get the kit put together. It's just a nightmare. And everybody's waiting on me and it's embarrassing. And the whole crowd is like waiting for the band to start. Anyway, so that is my nightmare (laughs) that I have reoccurring about every few years or so. And it just, I don't know, it'll just pop up every once in a while. The same dream. Um, Here's something that happened to me just to, it wasn't really a nightmare, but it was, if you think about it, if you think about it ahead of time, it would be a nightmare, but I handled it fairly well. We were, I was in Canyon and we were playing on Nashville now with Ralph Emery and we were up there performing our song. I don't remember what song it was. And I'm playing the drums. Well, on that show, you don't use your own drums. You the They have a house band. Back then, they had a house band. And the drummer had his drum set up. And you, the drummer, would always go back and just sit in on his drums. 
And you could maybe bring a snare drum or something, which I didn't. I just used his his snare drum because I figured they had everything all tuned and EQ'd, sounding good and everything. So I just used what he had. And he had them set up. Every drummer sets up just a little bit different. And the opportunity to drop a stick is always there because the drums are set up different. You... You, you may reach up to hit a tom or something, which might be a little higher than you're used to, and the stick will get caught up under the rim and it'll go flying. And then you're, without, well, I had brought my stick bag with me, and I forgot to put the stick bag where I could reach it, where I could reach over and grab a spare stick or put one in my hip pocket or something. I just forgot. I just forgot to be more prepared than I normally would be because this is live television that you're playing. And it's going out there. So whatever happens, happens. And of course, I drop a stick. I was reaching up to hit a cymbal or something, and I I hit the underneath part of a tom or a rim or something, and the stick goes flying out of my hand. Um, so I just switched. I think it was my right hand. So I, I just switched over my left stick to my right hand, and I had to play the rest of the song with one hand, with just my right hand, which was fine. You would probably never know in the sound that anything was missing, but there was just nothing I could do. I couldn't stop the song, reach down on the floor, pick up another stick, and then just get back on the kit and start playing again. There was no opportunity to do that. The song was straight through. So I played the rest of the song with one stick, um, and it was live television, and I thought from then on, from that point on, the whole time, the rest of the time I was with Canyon and the time I joined Lone Star, I was always more prepared to where I, and I always remembered that when it's I'm dropping a stick on live TV um, and not having a spare to grab, I always sort of stuck with me. So from that point on, I've always had a stick that I could grab on, not only on the left side, but the right side also. So no matter what stick I drop, I can just reach down and grab another one on either side. I've always had my spares sitting there just in case, because it happens even Seasoned professionals can drop a stick every once in a while. It just happens. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, so here's another thing that happened to me personally. This didn't actually happen on stage, but it did affect my stage performance just a little bit. Not much, but a little bit. We were playing with, and I don't know if the guys in Lone Star know this or not, because it wasn't something I just shared with everybody, but... I was getting ready to do this show with Phil Vassar and us doing this Christmas show a few years back. This is before COVID. We were doing a show with, we would do these shows with Phil Vassar where we would all come out together, his band and our band, and we would play together a couple of Christmas songs. And then we would play a couple of our Lone Star songs. They would leave stage and then they would come back on stage. We'd play some together and then we would leave stage. Phil Vassar and his band would play some of his hits and we would all come back on and do some stuff together and so on and so forth. Well, we were getting ready to do that show, and uh, I was backstage warming up, and our bus was was parked. It was in the wintertime. It was in Milwaukee or something like that where it was freezing, freezing cold in this Christmas season, and there was ice everywhere and all that. Our bus was kind of far away. Well, I was backstage getting ready to go on stage. They go, okay, is everybody ready? And I reached over to feel my where my ear monitors were and they weren't there and I thought oh wait 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 I don't have my ear monitors on yet because this was kind of a different setup with Phil normally with Lone Star we would have our ear monitors on the in the room or whatever and in this case they were actually on the bus and so I had to run back to the bus to go put my ear get my ear monitors and come back and it was like one of those nightmares it was like the bus was so far 
removed from the where the stage was. You had to, I literally had to go out of the dressing room through down this long hallway through the lobby of the theater. I had to go through where all the people were standing and getting ready to walk in. Most of them were already in, and some people were still in the lobby trying to get in. Walk through those people out the front door, down the sidewalk, all the way up a set of stairs, like outdoor stairs, to where the bus was parked on this other level. Go on, get grab my ear monitors, put them on real quick, lock the bus, come back down the stairs, and I ran. And I ran around, back through the lobby, and back around out through the side and I was coming fixing to come in the side of the stage door when I slipped on a slick thing of ice there was a thing of ice sitting down on the ground and I was in a hurry and I came up these little stairs and I was just about to go in the stage side door and I did a one of those where your feet just fly out from under you and you land on your back flat on your back one of those like almost like a Chevy Chase movie or something and I hit that ice with the loudest, I mean, the hardest thump. My The back of my head, I hit. I landed on my back, but the back of my head with my ear monitors on, I guess my ear monitors were sort of hanging on to the side of my collar, sort of. They haven't, haven't been, I didn't have them in my ear yet, but they were just hanging on my side. And I fell, and I banged the back of my head. And in so doing, of course, I almost got a concussion. I mean, I was bleeding in the back of my head. But also, um, I saw stars for sure. Now I know what they mean when they say you see stars. But I had broken one of my ear monitors, I think the right ear monitor, and it just busted it and just broke it like an egg, like a busted egg. And um, I ran in there real quick, and they were like, okay, you good to go? And I just I shrugged the whole thing off like, yeah, I'm good. And I went up on stage and played the first, the whole show, but the first part of the first couple songs – bleeding in the back of my head and just like complete like I don't know if it was adrenaline or shock or what but I was just completely flabbergasted that I could actually play the songs as if nothing had happened perfectly smiling and acting like I was just having a great time after I just fell and busted the back of my head and uh, it wasn't one of those things that I shared with the rest of the band I wasn't like hey you know what just happened before the show I kind of kept it to myself for a long time I don't think I ever even said anything that happened but uh anyway so you just got to be careful you, know, you can't get in a hurry which i clearly was and i was just like i didn't want everybody waiting on me to start the show which they were but i didn't want them to wait any longer to hold the show it's like each not have his ear monitors on yet but it seemed like it just took forever for me to get up there to the bus get my ear monitors on come down fall bust my head come back in stage and start the show so um that is one of the horrors that can happen to a performer when, you know, you have to do this thing for a living that you call performing. You have to remember your music and you have to know all the songs and you have to deal with crowds sometimes and all the kind of weird things that happen to you are can be hilarious and they can be like a nightmare. Um, but I will share some of the uh, things that have happened to some of my friends here. I reached out to a couple friends of mine and had them record on their phone their account of some crazy thing that would that happened on stage or in rich redmond's case he was talking about things that can happen and how you have to be, sort of be prepared so um i'll let you listen to rich redmond tell his account of some things that you have to be prepared for and uh when it comes to tempos and things like that and uh just a little lesson in being prepared on stage well 
as you know, our band was on stage playing during the Vegas tragedy, and out of respect and reverence for that horrific day, I will just go in a more positive direction and just give you some advice about how you can prepare for just about anything on stage. And as you know, the drummer, we have <laughs> the probably the loudest instrument on stage, and it's in our job description to be able to lead and follow at the same time. So over the years, We've had the opportunity to back up a million guest artists that could come out with us and sing a song here and there, either on award shows or at gigs. And you have to be able to read the room and be able to quickly adjust tempos and arrangements in the moment. And usually there's two types of personalities, the type of personality of the artist that you're playing with that says, no matter what, make me look good. So if I come in at the wrong tempo, we're going to play the song at the wrong tempo. And then you have another type of artist that's like, well, if I come in at the wrong tempo, just quickly adjust it and then tame me in that moment. So you really have to be able to read the room and be able to adjust the tempos and the arrangements. And, you know, don't be so hard on yourself if something does happen because the average Joe in the audience sometimes can't tell that you did a four bar outro instead of the two bar outro that you discussed at the rehearsal and as far as rehearsals go many times you won't get a rehearsal with the artist but if you can have a quick conversation before you go on stage and say hey this is the exact arrangement that you play with your band or that's on your record or remember that we altered the guitar solo and we're doing four bars instead of eight bars so just being able to be flexible communicate and then have your head on a swivel on that stage and be able to uh, read the room and adjust follow and lead quickly in the moment using your God-given musical intuition. So I hope that helps. Yes, for sure. That does help. Thank you, Rich. Um, Rich Redman plays for Jason Aldean, and he has been in his band forever and I'm sure has seen some pretty crazy things happen and all that. But I really appreciate the, the lesson on that about how to sort of read the stage and figure out what's going on, be able to react at a, a, you know, sort of a moment's notice, you know, depending on what you're playing and tempos and things like that. That's always been kind of a, a big question to me of like, what if you do start a song out too fast or too slow or something like that? Do you change it in midstream? There's different schools of thought. Keep it the same and just you'll know next time not to do it. Or do you actually change the tempo to adjust it in the song where the audience would go, oh, well, something happened there, you know, it's sort of admitting to your mistake. But uh, yeah, thank you, Rich. I appreciate that. Um, next up is Tommy Harden. He's going to tell us uh, one of his uh, stories of what happened. Okay, the craziest thing that ever happened to me on stage, uh, I could tell actually two stories, but I'll tell one. So I was playing with Laurie White, the late Laurie White. She's a genius wonderful beautiful artist um i was playing drums and the audio guy came over to adjust the floor tom mic and right as he had walked up the third leg on my drum throne snapped and i literally started falling towards the floor tom he walked up pushed me back up and held me for the rest of the song and if he had not been there, I probably would have fallen off the drum riser onto the stage. Oh, man, that is crazy. 
I remember um, that happening to me. Not not that whole story about the sound man, but I have had drum stools um, break a leg on me or break get broken. The stool itself would break or something like that. And I mean, what do you do? Uh, the thing you're sitting on, uh, drumming is kind of a sitting down type thing. And if the stool breaks, um, yeah, I mean, it can be a it can be a real problem. I've had that happen before where I had to go get like a road case or something um, in between songs or something. I had to prop up on a some kind of a like a road case or a, a, a I don't know, a chair, like a regular chair with a sort of a a little case on top of it or something like that, a briefcase or something just so I can get up to the height that I need to be on that. That's crazy. And here's the funny thing about drum stools to me. That's, that's always been kind of a little bit suspect is that, okay, cymbal stands and drum stools, the hardware itself, the metal, the stuff that's made out of um, the way they're built are pretty much, most of them are pretty much the same, but here's the thing. A cymbal stand is meant to hold only the weight of a cymbal, like let's say maybe five pounds, not even five pounds, maybe three and a half, four pounds or so like that, just a crash cymbal or a ride cymbal or whatever. Um, now, or, or a set of toms, which could weigh a little bit more, maybe let's just say maximum of like 30 pounds, holding up some, some toms or something. Okay, a drum stool is meant to hold an entire person, like a hundred and... 150, 180, 200 pounds, whatever, how big the drummer is. Some drummers are really heavy, real big guys. And to, for a drum stool to be made out of the same material that a cymbal stand is meant, I don't mean the material, I just mean the construction and the what it's meant to do, you know, it's, it's designed. It's not really designed to hold the kind of weight that it's supposed to hold. So no wonder drum stools break all the time, you know, they just, they're just not made. I think this, the hardware companies are thinking like, well, We'll make a drum stool out of the same thing we make the cymbal stand out of. We'll just put a stool on top of it. And they just, I've had to fix so many drum stools before. And I actually fixed one for David Black, um, the uh, the next guy I'm going to, uh, you're going to hear from. I fixed his drum stool. He had one that broke and it needed to be re-welded. So I actually welded it back for him. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing that it held and it did well because I sort of over-engineered it. I made it super strong where it would never ever break ever again that kind of that was my whole mindset this drum stool will never break in our lifetime that's how i did it i sort of over engineered it but anyway um david black what has happened to you in the past so drummers know about this little fail safe but i don't think the general public ever notices this oftentimes during a performance drummers will have a spare snare drum and kick pedal somewhere around the drum riser in case something goes wrong with either during the performance. I was gigging for Easton Corbin and we were in an arena and halfway through, I'll never forget it, halfway through roll with it, the beater on my kick pedal lost its tension and just fell uh, to the floor or to the bottom of the kick drum. And I had no drum tech, uh, do you know how horrible it sounds when you're playing a pop country song in an arena and you have no kick drum? I mean, the band's looking around at me like, why does it sound so horrible all of a sudden? <laughs> so at the end of the tune, I mean, I had to play probably maybe a minute and a half of the song with no kick drum. And uh, I stalled for, I had them stall for just a second and uh, got my beater uh, reattached and tightened. But 
there's a reason, boys and girls, that we usually have a spare snare and kick pedal because you never know when you're going to need it. Amen to that, brother. I feel your pain there. I've had that happen so many times where a snare or a kick pedal, and of course, like you said, I always have a spare kick pedal right there to my right, right down by the spare snare, because those are the two things that you need the most that you, that, that are, that seem to, you seem to hit the most and what would probably go south on you. The, the soonest would be a kick pedal and or kick drum head and a snare drum. So I have those things standing by and I feel your pain. I've had that happen before. I had a kick drum head bust on me one time. So I had to kind of play the floor tom for a few, you know, for the rest of the set, which luckily it was like um, the last couple of songs of the set. And I was able to take the bottom floor tom head off, which seemed like the least thing I would need. You know, it didn't matter if I hit the floor tom and it didn't have a bottom head. It's still, I still had a floor tom and I had this head that was 16 inches around. So I duct taped it to the kick drum turned it around where the rim part of the head was facing out to where it fit flush on there. And then when I hit it, then it sort of fixed the, it sort of patched it for temporarily. Um, so when I hit it, it made a thud and it sounded like a kick drum. And the sound man actually came up to me afterwards. And I, I think I've talked about this in my podcast before. The sound man actually came up to me after that set or after the show that night and said, what did you do to that kick drum? That I said, oh, well, it broke, and I had to blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, whatever you did, keep it. He goes, it sounded awesome. <laughs> so actually, a little repair ended up in a, a huge, uh, uh, you know, sounding, a good-sounding kick drum. So my next guest on here is going to be a friend of mine. He's been on the podcast before, Chuck Fields. He plays with Terry Clark, and great, great drummer, good friend of mine. I've known him forever and ever and ever. And uh, he's going to tell you a little bit about what can happen sometimes when you have a guest singer come up and things don't go exactly the way you had planned. I was playing with an artist in Canada, and the artist liked to bring kids up on the stage. So he, he had done that one night and had one kid that sang really well. So <clears throat> the following show, the next night, the artist thought, oh, bring another kid up on stage. And this time he actually picked out a, a younger kid even. And uh, so he, he picked the kid up, and <laughs> the kid started to do what, you know, the parents always tell the kids. If a stranger picks you up, start hitting them and screaming. So that's what the kid did. Uh, was oh, my fun. God. I, I can't even imagine that. I mean, you know, having guests up on stage, it, not always a great idea because you never know what's going to happen, but that definitely... That one definitely is one of those, okay, I guess we're not doing that ever again. <laughs> and, uh, wow, that that's I, I wish I could have seen that. I mean, I, I hate it that kids get scared and they cry and all that, but, I mean, that must have been a nightmare for the kid, but especially for the band who is, like, supposed to entertain the crowd and they have this crying, screaming kid. It's like, okay, we're not doing that. Um, wow. Well, thank you guys for the stories. Um, you know, David Black. Chuck Fields, Tommy Harden, and Rich Redman for chiming in, sending me their little audio recordings of crazy stuff that's happened on stage. And uh, I hope everybody has a great Halloween season, um, vacation, whatever you want to call it. And uh, 
have fun trick-or-treating, be safe, stay warm, and, you know, if you're a performer, be prepared for anything that can happen on stage, anything and everything that can happen on stage. You know what I'm talking about. It can get crazy up there. So um, hopefully we'll see you out there at a Lone Star show, and hopefully things will go well and not as crazy as some of these stories. But um, hang in there, and we'll see you next time on Designated Drummer. Bye. Bye.